Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. an honor to be back at your church here in Bethel Stratford. My goodness, I love this church. I love your pastors and your pastoral staff. This is such a great place to be and to belong. And I've been here a couple times now. And so I just feel like there's friends in the room and I love seeing familiar faces and just connecting with people. And uh, what a blessing it is to be here tonight. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 4. Bless the Lord, I just found my elastic for my Bible. Oh, my Bible's falling apart, so I have to have an elastic to keep it together. And I lost my elastic today, and I was lurching everywhere for it. Okay, now I have two. Look, the blessing of the Lord is just in the details. <laughs> Acts chapter 4, we're going to look at this scripture tonight. Do you love God's word? Good, because we're going to read most of Acts chapter 4, so I'm glad you love it. Um, just to give you a little bit of context as we get into the word tonight, I know that probably you're familiar with the book of Acts or at least the beginning chapters as Pentecostal people. That's part of our thing. We just like the book of Acts. So um, maybe you're already familiar with this, but just so that we're all on the same page, let's just catch up, okay? Acts chapter 1 is, um, begins with Jesus' final interactions with the disciples. And uh, he's now died on the cross and risen from the grave. And he has this short period of time before he ascends into heaven. And Acts chapter 1 records those final minutes, the final things that Jesus says to his disciples. And then he ascends into heaven. And as part of his final instruction, he tells them that they're supposed to wait for the gift that God has for them. And when you turn the page to Acts chapter 2, we discover that this gift that God has is the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 2 records on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and there was tongues of fire and the sound of a wind. And, and those who were gathered in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time. And they began to speak in the tongues. And, and they spilled into the streets. And Peter begins to preach to the crowd and thousands are saved that day. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 3, when you turn over to the next chapter, you read about Peter and John. And they were going down to the temple at the time of prayer. And they encounter a man who is lame. He's unable to walk. And this lame man, because he's lame and can't walk, it means that he can't work. And so it also means that he's a beggar. And as Peter and John are passing by, he calls out to them and he says, hey, can, can I have some money? And Peter says these words that are probably familiar to most of you. He says, silver and gold, have I none. Is there anyone in the room who can agree with that? Anyone? Silver and gold, have I none. But what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, walk. The scripture records that Peter reaches down and he grabs this man by the hand and he pulls him to the feet and and this man jumps up and begins to walk. A miracle. Not only does he walk, but the Bible says he's like leaping and he's praising God. 
And then he begins to follow Peter and John. He stays with them. And what that means, I think it's so significant because what it means is that he doesn't stay where he is. He doesn't go back home, but he begins to walk with Peter and John. So you can imagine as Peter and John are walking, all of a sudden this crowd sees this lame man. Well, he was lame. The scripture says that they recognized him. They knew him as the man who sat in that spot day after day begging. And now all of a sudden, this man who had never been able to walk is walking and jumping and leaping and praising God. Now, some of you look so serious tonight in the house of God. Let me tell you, if you saw a man that had been lame his whole life, and all of a sudden he is walking down the streets and he is praising God, you would have a smile on your face. There would be some excitement inside of your spirit to see that. And all these crowds are seeing this man and they're in wonder and they're in amazement. And then Peter, sensing just the moment, he preaches his second sermon. His first sermon was in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. He preaches his second sermon. Now Peter, in this sermon, you can go back and you can read it later tonight, but man, he doesn't go soft on the people. <laughs> He doesn't give like a little joke and a little intro story. He just dives right in and, and he points at the people in the crowd and he starts talking about Jesus and he looks at them and he says, you killed him. Can you imagine if that's how, that's how this started tonight? That would be rough. He points at them and he says, it was you. You killed him. You disowned Jesus. And then he gives the instruction that they are to repent. And scripture says that it's in the middle of this message as Peter is preaching to the crowds on the street that we come to the book or the chapter 4 in the book of Acts where there's this interruption in his message. So let's read it. Acts chapter 4 and verse 1, it says this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus, I want you to note that, in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. How many would say that's a good altar call? 5,000. <laughs> the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Note the question that they asked. They say, by what power <laughs> or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 13, when they saw the courage 
of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed and standing there with them, there was nothing that they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone, note this, in this name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's the third time it says in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Amen. Um, I know that you're familiar already, but let's just review really quickly the main characters of the story. The guys at the center of the story are Peter and John, two disciples that we are familiar with. Poor Peter. Peter is the guy who gets a bad rap, right? I kind of wonder when we get to heaven if Peter's just going to shake his head at all of us and just be like, you guys, could you not have, like, spoken better of me? Like, I wasn't that bad. Because Peter is the one that we always talk about. He's the one who denied Jesus. He's the one who, yeah, he stepped out of the boat, but then he took his eyes off Jesus and he fell in the water, right? He's the one who's known for saying the wrong thing. Where John, if you're going to describe John, everyone just describes him as the disciple that Jesus loved. I mean, what a comparison, right? Like Peter is kind of the bad guy in the story. And then John, his title is just the one that Jesus loved. But it's so interesting that as we open the book of Acts and we get into the beginning, the, the birth of the early church, it's Peter who begins to shine. In Acts chapter 2, it's Peter who stands up and preaches to the crowd and 3,000 are saved. When you read Luke's writing in the book of Acts, even these, just, these stories that we just read, you see that Luke writes always Peter and John. <laughs> 
Now, maybe that means nothing, but I think there's something to be said about the name that comes first. Luke always writes Peter and then throws on and John. It's, it's interesting to me that um, Peter's just this guy who struggled when he was a disciple. He was the one who was making mistakes. He was the one who was saying the wrong thing. And yet when you move from the Gospels to the book of Acts, there is this visible difference. There is a change. There is a transformation in Peter from before the resurrection to after the day of Pentecost. And of course, we know what that difference is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit transformed Peter. We are seeing a different man. We see in the book of Acts a transformed man. We're seeing a man who has been filled with the Holy Spirit. And now that that infilling of the Spirit of God is overflowing in his life. And it's spilling out. And it's noticeable in the way that he talks. In the way that he acts. In the way that he lives. It's noticeable. We see this in verse 13. This is a key verse for us tonight, so let me read it again to you. It says in verse 13 of Acts 4 that when they, being the elders and the rulers and the teachers and the high priests, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Listen, friends, if there is anything I want to be known for, I want to be known as someone who is with Jesus. My goodness, if anything could be said of me by people in my community, by people in my church, by people who know me well and people who hardly know me at all, I hope that the one thing that could be said of me is that she is someone who clearly has spent time with Jesus. It was noticeable with Peter and with John. You know, they say, and I found this to be true in life, that you become like the person that you spend time with. Have you picked up on that in life? That you start to talk the way your friends talk, that you start to act the way your spouse acts, that some even spouses start to look like each other. The longer they've been married, they look, we won't go down that route, but have you ever looked and wondered if they're brother and sister or husband and wife? There's just this thing when you spend time with people. You start to act like them. You start to do things. You start to talk like them. It's, it's true in life. And man, I want to be someone who people can tell that I have spent time with Jesus because it shows in the way that I talk, in the way that I live, in the way that I act, in the way that I love. So it made me question when I got to this verse, well, what does that mean? That they noted that these men had been with Jesus. What would people note about us that would cause them to say they have been with Jesus. Well, it's interesting to me that with Peter and John, it wasn't their love. <laughs> they didn't say, we noticed their love, and that must mean that they spent time with Jesus. It wasn't their kindness. It wasn't their generosity, although those are great traits, and Scripture teaches us that we're to put on the character of Christ, and that's included in that. It says in Scripture that it was their courage. It was their courage. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of that word courage, but 
I think of, of someone doing something that's really daring, something that's really adventurous, something that causes someone to confront and overcome a fear. I have um, my friend, my little sister, I call her Amy here tonight. Amy uh, just got home from living overseas in Wales for a year. And at the end of her year overseas, she took advantage of the fact that she was living internationally and she would just jump on a train and arrive in a foreign country. And when she got there, she would figure out where she was going and where she was staying. And, and that terrifies me. So when I think of courage, I think of someone like Amy who's doing something daring, something that's adventurous. But when scripture in this verse talks about courage, it's not defining it the way that I would define it. Because this is what it means. I looked it up in the Greek so I would sound really smart. This is what it means. It means freedom in speaking. Unreservedness in your speech. It means speaking openly, speaking with a frankness, speaking without concealing, speaking with clarity, without ambiguity. It also means to be free and have a fearless confidence, to be cheerfully courageous, bold, and to live within assurance. Isn't that interesting? So what they're noticing about Peter and John is not that they're daring individuals. It's not that they're adventurous guys who are doing things and, and confronting their fear. What the leaders and the teachers and the elders and the high priests noticed is how they spoke. That they spoke freely, that they spoke with confidence, that they spoke with an assurance and with a clarity. Now, can we just point out very quickly that none of those things in that definition would have been said about Peter prior to Pentecost. Do we recognize that? That prior to Pentecost, prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter was the one who said the wrong things. He was the one who asked the wrong questions. He was the one who was afraid to say that he was a follower of Jesus. Peter was fearful. He was cowardly. Peter was not the one that the disciples would have picked to be the primary speaker and preacher and message giver as the gospel was going forward. And yet here, Peter and John are noted for their courage by what they said. I think it's really important also for us to note that scripture doesn't lead us to believe that Peter and John were incredibly eloquent or that they had the ability of a seasoned speaker. Scripture records that the elders and the rulers and the teachers realized after they heard Peter speaking that these were ordinary and unschooled men. It's kind of insulting. <laughs> and yet... It was their words that convinced these leaders that they were men of courage and men that had been with Jesus. Can I tell you tonight, for everyone who's in the room who feels like, I don't know how to speak. Now, I'm not talking about standing up here with a microphone. I'm talking about people who feel like, I don't know how to speak when I run into a neighbor in the grocery store. I don't know how to speak about God in the Bible when I sit down with a friend over coffee. I don't know how to share my faith in the lunchroom of, of the place where I work. I don't know how to speak in conversation with, with my family and with my friends and with my neighbors. I don't know how to speak about God and about the word. Maybe you feel like, I don't have the right words 
Maybe you feel like I'm not eloquent. I, I don't have all this Bible knowledge that Pastor Chad has. I don't have the gift to talk and to express spiritual things. Can I tell you tonight, you don't need a speech class and you don't need a four-year Bible education. Well, that's a great thing. What you and I need is a touch from heaven. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost to touch our words and to give us the empowerment to speak with courage and with boldness. See, there was a transformation with Peter when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the most visible expression of this change was the way that he talked. Because suddenly, there was clarity Suddenly, there was a knowledge of how to explain scriptures. Suddenly, there was a boldness to call people to repentance. Suddenly, there was the assurance of the message that he was sharing. Suddenly, there was a lack of embarrassment. Instead, there was a holy boldness to point people to Jesus. And you know, in the time in between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost, he didn't enroll in Bible college. He didn't take a Toastmasters class. <laughs> Instead, he met with a group of people in an upper room and prayed and waited for the gift of God to come. He just enrolled himself in the school of prayer and tapped into heaven and waited for the gift that God would give to him. And when the Holy Spirit descended on him, he came out a new person with a new authority to declare the truth of the gospel. And he didn't do it from a stage. He did it on the streets, in his neighborhood, with people who were walking by. Can I tell you tonight, guys, I'm, I'm just convinced that the church of Canada, and when I say the church, I don't mean the institution, I don't mean the four walls, I don't even mean just what we meet with on Sunday morning. When I talk about the church, I'm talking about you and I, I'm talking about the individuals who love Jesus and follow Jesus in our nation. I'm convinced that the church of Canada needs another baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need a baptism of truth. Because we are so caught up in trying to be culturally relevant. We are so careful these days to say the right words in the right way, not to use any Christianese so that we might confuse people. We're so focused on media and visuals and gimmicks to hold the eyes and the ears of an unattentive audience, whether that's in the pews of our church or sitting in a coffee shop, but we're missing the most important part. Because verse 8 says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak. Listen, I appreciate the methods and the strategies that we are using as believers today in 2019. I think that we're working with a spirit of excellence and we're working with a spirit of intention when we consider the culture and we do things to be culturally relevant in the day. I'm not saying anything against. Listen, I'm a visual person. I love a good prop. I, I'm all about grabbing all the toys from the kids' ministry department and using it as part of my message. I'm not opposed to what we're doing to try to win the culture of the day. I'm just saying I'm concerned that we're missing something. Because Peter and John, they weren't worried about the techniques of the day. 
All Peter and John had was their experiences with Jesus, the truth of the gospel, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And the result was, in two days, they saw 7,000 people come to salvation. Can I just suggest to you that if we want the results of the book of Acts, maybe we need to live like the book of Acts. Where we prioritize the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think we need courage. Courage the way that scripture defines it. Freedom in our speaking. Unreservedness in our speech. Talking openly, frankly, without concealing. Speaking with clarity. No ambiguity. A free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Boldness. Assurance. We need courage from the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. You know, it's funny to me today what we speak courageously about. (laughs) We talk courageously about our favorite sports team. Anyone in the room tonight want to go head-to-head over hockey teams? I was born in Montreal, so I have an obligation on my birth certificate to support the Habs. Just saying. You know, yesterday, actually, I was uh, flying from Texas to Detroit, When I got on the plane in Texas, there was a man there. He was a big kind of burly man. He had a very long beard, so he would have stood out just for his facial hair. But he was decked out in this Dallas Cowboys jersey. He had a lanyard around his neck where he had all this, like, Dallas Cowboys memorabilia kind of hanging around him. And then he was wearing, because it would not fit in his suitcase, a massive foam hat just massive that said Dallas Cowboys and that man was unashamed people are taking pictures they're posing with him he is just unashamed he gets off the plane with us in Chicago and when we're loading the plane again I guess there's a game today against Detroit and the Dallas Cowboys so he's getting on the plane again and there's this man who's clearly from Detroit he's wearing a nice fedora and a fur coat And he calls out across the airport over all these people to this man wearing this foam Dallas cowboy hat. He goes, you know you're going down tomorrow. (laughs) And suddenly all of us who are waiting to get on the plane are caught up in this interaction where these two grown men are talking smack about each other's teams. Courageously just calling each other down. We have no problem talking courageously about our favorite sports team. We have no problem talking courageously about our political views, just sharing whatever we think on Facebook with whoever. We have no problem sharing courageously about what TV shows Christians should be watching or not watching on Netflix. You watch that? Oh, sinner. We have no problem talking courageously about our opinion about Don Cherry. Is it too soon? Too soon to bring that up? We have no problem talking courageously about what people put on Facebook and adding our own comments to all of the opinions of the day. We are a Canadian people who exercise our freedom of speech for things that have very little eternal value. And yet, with the message of the gospel, we still quake in fear. We're afraid to offend. We're afraid to push people away. We're afraid of being associated with the wrong type of Christian. I don't want to be associated with those religious freaks. We're afraid of 
being misunderstood. Now, can we compare that for a minute to Peter and John, who after being arrested and put into prison overnight, when they are commanded not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, they respond by saying, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, they're saying, we can't stop. We won't stop. We've seen too much. We've experienced too much about Jesus. We know the truth. And now we've been baptized with fire. And we will not, we cannot stop talking about our Jesus. Is there anyone who can say they need that kind of baptism of fire in the Holy Ghost? Because I do. The baptism that drives out the fear of man and instead fills us with the fear of God. The baptism that removes the fear of offense and fuels a desire to see people come to salvation. A baptism that takes our simple and ordinary and unschooled words and uses them to open eyes and open hearts to the understanding that we need a Savior. See, I'm telling you tonight, church, I need that. Man, I need that. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me so that my words are empowered by courage. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I speak things in a way not to win people to my opinion, but to set people free. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me so that I speak in such a way that I'm not trying to fit into the crowd, but I speak and bring light and life to darkness and death. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me so I speak not fearing man, but I speak with an acknowledgement that it is Jesus alone who saves and what my neighbors and my community need is to recognize the power that's in the name of Jesus. Now, can I just add this as like an asterisk? <laughs> None of that means that we get to say whatever we want whenever we want to say it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not talking about those people who say, well, I'm just calling it like it is. And use that as an excuse for rude behavior. <laughs> because there's a difference between your truth and the truth. I'm talking about an empowerment of the spirit that transforms our speech so that we go from a bumbling Peter who says the wrong things and trembles in fear to someone be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that our words carry authority, so that at the right place, at the right time, with the right people, we speak words where Jesus is glorified. See, there's a courage that comes through the infilling of the power of the Spirit of God. And people will take note that you and I have been with Jesus. Can I point out something else from this passage? Just say yes, because I'm going to do it anyways. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate your affirmation tonight. The rulers and the teachers of the law, the high priests, it's interesting to me in this passage that they arrested Peter and John they throw them into jail, and they're trying to determine what the correct punishment would be for the situation at hand. And yet, ultimately, they have no cause of action against Peter and John because the sign 
confirm the message. Let me just remind you. Verse 14, it says, But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Verse 16, they ask, what are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. Verse 21 and 22 says, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, I don't know about you. I have a hunch that you think the same way that I think. But I'll just tell you, I believe that the God of the book of Acts is the same God today. I believe that he still wants to confirm his words with signs and wonders and miracles. I believe the promises that we sang about in the word of God are true, that by his stripes we are healed. And I believe that there must be a resurrection of faith in the body of Christ where we don't just talk about Jesus, but we speak in the name of Jesus. That with faith in our hearts, we pray the promises of God that are found in scripture. That with expectation, we believe for the miraculous in the name of Jesus. That with trust in his word and in his character, we speak in his name and we put action like Peter did and move in faith in responding to what God has promised us in his word. See, in this passage, <laughs> so interesting, there was a recognition of the authority that came through the name of Jesus. Did you notice that? Because these elders and these teachers and these rulers and these high priests, they didn't tell Peter and John to stop talking about Jesus. They weren't concerned about the stories that they could share about their experiences with Jesus. They were concerned about the results when they started speaking in the name of Jesus. Because they had a city in an uproar. There was a praise party happening in the streets of the city because a man who could not walk for 40 years is now walking around and praising God. And the only explanation that could be given was that in the name of Jesus, this man had been healed. Man, I want stories like that in Canada. <laughs> I want stories like that in our nation where there is such confusion about the impossible becoming possible that the only explanation that the world can give that there's something about the name of Jesus. I want stories where people who are far from God see what they never thought they would ever see happen, and as a result, they put their faith and their trust in Jesus. I want stories where people in grocery stores and, and people in, in exchanges at banks and people in schoolyards are talking about the signs and the wonders and the miracles that are happening, where there is rumors and there is conversation spreading through the streets of Stratford and Sarnia, and all of a sudden there's a buzz in the air and there's a praise party happening in neighborhoods because someone recognizes there's something going on and we can't deny it. There's something about that name. The name of Jesus. But we need some people. We need some people who spent time with Jesus. We need some people who've seen some things and have heard some things 
and they refuse to stop talking about it. We need some people who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and are now living with courageous faith. We need some people who believe the word of God and will claim the promises of God with unrelenting faith, knowing that there's power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You know, a number of years ago, there was someone in my life who I was very, very close to. There, there's a family in my church that they're not family, but they are family, if you know what I mean. On a Monday morning, this individual, this man, he was making his way from his parking spot in, in the parking lot of his work to the front door of his workplace when all of a sudden he collapsed. He went suddenly unconscious and someone that worked with him found him and called 911 and he was put in an ambulance and taken to the hospital. And I got a phone call at the church saying that he had been taken to the hospital and didn't, we didn't know what was happening. And so myself and my brother, who's my pastor, we went down to the hospital and we're with the family. And this man was sitting up and seemed to be okay, but the doctors were running all these tests to try to determine why he had passed out, why he suddenly went unconscious. And as the hours went on, it, the report came back that they had found a brain tumor. And you know, as we stood with the family in that hospital room and we received this devastating diagnosis, we began to pray. And there was so much faith in the room that day. And so we prayed, believing God and holding on to the promises of God. And we just said, Lord, we hear the doctors, but we just believe in your healing. We believe in your promises. We're going to hold on to it. And I walked out of that hospital room just so full of faith, trusting God. But then hours later, I went home, and I was alone in my house. And all of a sudden, this spirit of fear just came over me. And I'm telling you, I couldn't shake it. So I began to pray. And I'm praying all the things that I know how to pray. I'm praying with faith. I'm claiming the promises of God. I'm saying, Lord, I believe your word. I'm praying all these things. And the spirit of fear, it just wouldn't lift off me. So then I, I just started asking God, you know, with sincerity and heart, like, Lord, please. Like, I'm asking you to be true to your character, and I'm asking you to do a work. And, and, and I'm praying all, all these things, and still the spirit of fear is just overcoming me. And so then, then you get into the ugly prayers. You know the prayers that you know you're not supposed to pray, but somehow they slip out in moments of desperation? Those prayers where you're praying out of your emotion, you're praying out of your fear, you're praying with tears streaming down your face, you're begging God, you're, you're bartering with God, you're, you're offering God everything that you think you should offer him in order to get him to do what you want him to do. You know all those ugly prayers that you don't tell your pastor you pray. All those prayers. And still the spirit of fear wasn't lifting off of me. So finally I said to myself, I just said, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open my Bible. And I'm going to start in the book of Matthew, and I'm going to go through all the Gospels, and I'm going to write down every occurrence where I see Jesus healing someone. And, and I'll work my way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we'll just see. We'll just see how I feel after that. So I open up the book of Matthew, and I start right there at the beginning. I think in chapter 4 is the first miracle story. And, and so I write it down, what God does, what Jesus does in that first story. And then I flip it over, and I get to the next chapter. And, and there's a few in the next chapter. And so I write those down, and I flip it over, and I get to the next chapter, and there's another one. And, and I start making my way through the book of Matthew. And Jesus is healing a leper, and he's healing someone with leprosy. And he's healing a woman with the issue of blood, and he's 
raising a dead girl from, from the dead. And, and I'm making my way. And, and my intention was to go through all the Gospels. But I'm telling you, I got to the end of the book of Matthew. And I closed my Bible. And I just said, Lord, I believe your word. And I went to bed. Because there's something about the promises of God that fuels our understanding that there's power in the name of Jesus. Now, can I tell you in this journey with this person who I love so dearly and, and the surgery and the treatments and, and God did so many miracles along the way in, in, in that whole process. I'm not telling you that I had so much faith every day. <laughs> faith is a little bit like mountains and valleys. Anyone know what I'm saying? Come on, help a girl out. Don't make her feel all alone in this. There was times when my faith was so strong and times when I was praying those ugly prayers all over again. But every time that fear would overwhelm me, I would grab the word and I would hold on to the word and I would trust the word. Because when you read the word, you understand that there's power in the name of Jesus. When you read the word, you understand that there's authority in the name of Jesus. When you read the word, you understand as we sang tonight, his promises are yes and amen. See, Peter and John, they had faith. They had faith because of what they had seen. They had faith because of what they had experienced. And they had faith because of the empowerment of the Spirit of God who lived within them. And all of those who were eager to see this message stopped, they could do nothing because the sign confirmed the message. And the result was that thousands came to salvation. Thousands came. You know, after, after all that Peter and John had experienced, this miracle with the lame man and then their arrest and their night in prison and then this interrogation and, and, and their, res, their refusal to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, Scripture records, we read it tonight, that they return to their community. You could say they return to their church family and they give this report. And I love this, that, when their community, when their church family heard all that had happened, Scripture says they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they determined, they determined as a church family that they could not, that they would not Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they raised their voices in prayer. And I want you to note tonight what they prayed. Verse 29, they said, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They asked for more of what they just experienced. You know that word boldness that they prayed, that's the same word for courage that is found earlier in that chapter. They asked that God would, by the power of the Spirit, give them courage, give them boldness to speak freely, to proclaim the word of God, to speak the truth, to speak the gospel message. And they asked for signs and wonders and miracles in his name. And then scripture says that after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. 
That word boldly, again, is the same word as boldness and courage. They were filled again with the power of the Spirit. Can I tell you tonight, church, as we come to a close, we need that filling of the Spirit of God to transform our speech and to transform our faith and to transform the way that we live so that we live and we talk and we act as people who have a freedom to speak the gospel boldly, clearly, with passion, with boldness, and with signs and wonders and miracles to confirm the message that we are speaking. You know, I find it so interesting that in Acts chapter 2, Peter and John were in the upper room with all those people, and here they were waiting for the gift that God had promised them. Peter and John were in that room in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came for the first time and filled these people and there were tongues of fire and there's a wind and they began to speak in other tongues and they spilled into the streets and they started preaching. Immediately we see the change. The church's birth. Thousands come to salvation. There's this significant miracle. And just two chapters later, they're asking for more. Just two chapters later, they're saying, God, give us that boldness. Give us that courage. God, give us more signs and wonders and miracles. Just two chapters later, they're saying we need it again, that infilling of the Spirit of God. And the result is that they spill out again and begin to speak the gospel with courage. Listen, church, let me tell you tonight. There is a need for us for continual filling of the Spirit of God. Peter and John had that first experience in Acts chapter 2, but by Acts chapter 4, they needed it again. They needed that infilling to come to give them boldness, to give them the signs and wonders and miracles. Just two chapters later, they prayed and they asked again, God, enable us to speak the truth. God, give us signs and wonders and miracles. And they were filled again. Pastor Tommy Barnett, this great pastor in the United States, he says this. He says, as charismatics, we're very good at getting filled, but we're very poor at getting spent. I don't want to give the visual tonight in saying that, that, that we get filled and then we just pour it all out and we get empty and we walk around with empty vessels until we can get in the presence of God again to get filled and then we get empty again. I don't think it quite works that way. What I mean is that when we get filled, we get filled for a purpose. We don't get filled with the Spirit of God just so that we have spiritual goosebumps, just so that we can say that we had a good time in the presence of God. We're supposed to get filled with the Spirit of God so that our life overflows and it touches other people. We get filled with the Spirit of God so that our words are spoken with courage and with boldness. We get filled with the Spirit of God so that we live people like they lived in the book of Acts and their signs and wonders and miracles that follow us wherever we go. Can I tell you tonight, that's not a word just for your pastors. <laughs> Man, if it happened in the streets of the book of Acts, why can't it happen in the grocery stores in Stratford? 
Why can't it happen in schools? Why can't it happen in your workplace? Why can't it happen in your neighborhood? This is not a message just for those who have a, a professional call to ministry. This is a message for the church today that we would awaken to the understanding that God has put the presence, the power, the person of the Holy Spirit inside of you so that we as the church would speak the word of God and see signs and wonders confirm our message. Do you believe that tonight? That the Spirit of God was poured out for you and for me so that we would live as people who the overflow of our life affects others. We don't get filled so that we can say, man, I love the feeling of the presence of God. We get filled so that we live in an empowerment. We live with a faith that believes in the name of Jesus so that signs and wonders and miracles confirmed our message. We get filled so that our message doesn't stay contained within us, but that the world sees our courage and sees in how we speak and in how we live that we have been with Jesus. We get filled so that through this courageous message that God has given us and through our faith that salvation comes to our family and to our neighbors and to our city and people understand that there is no name like the name of Jesus. Do you believe that tonight? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I believe so powerfully in the power that's in the name of Jesus. And I believe so strongly that there's a reason that God has chosen to dwell within us by the power of the Spirit. See, church, there's some things that we understand with our minds, but we haven't let it transform our life. Because you and I need to come to a greater revelation that God dwells within us by his spirit. And he has anointed our words and anointed our speech. Not so that we just have a good time in church and we leave feeling encouraged. But that we spill out into our neighborhoods and into our streets. And there's an empowerment to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There has to be a shaking off where we're no longer afraid of talking about Jesus. We're so courageous talking about other things, but we're so fearful talking about our faith, and yet our city doesn't know the power that's in the name of Jesus. But what if we had that courage that Peter and John did? What if we had that courage and we used our voice and we used our message to declare the name of Jesus? What if we just stopped talking about him and we started moving in the authority that we have in his name? What if we started believing that the spirit of God actually lives within us and he has given us gifts, he's given us the ability to, to move through our life so that we see signs and wonders and miracles to confirm the word? What if all of a sudden God started doing such things to our life through this church? But there was a buzz in the streets of Stratford. People started talking. Man, did you know that woman had cancer? Until someone from that church prayed for her. And doctors are saying, Psh, we can't find anything. Do you know about that couple down the street? Man, they used to fight all the time. They started going to that church, and I don't know what happened, but man, they're holding hands, they're smiling. Something, something happened in there. 
Man, do you know that person? They used to live such a lifestyle that was so messed up. Man, they ran with the wrong crowds. They did all the crazy things. Have you seen them now? Man, they're up early every Sunday morning. They're walking into the house of God. And they're, they're saying that Jesus changed their life. What do, you, what do you think about that? Can you imagine? There was a buzz in the city. People were saying, I don't know what's going on, but I'm telling you, there's something about this name. There's something about this name because there's things that are happening. I'm seeing things. I'm hearing things. Things are changing. The impossible is becoming possible, and the only connection is this name, Jesus. What if we as the church got so filled with the Spirit of God that we got more courageous about talking about Jesus and our political opinions? What if we got so filled with the Spirit of God that we stopped being worried about offending people and we would pause and pray publicly before a meal? What if we got so filled with the Spirit of God that we no longer lived with the spirit of, of fear of man? Instead, we were just empowered with the fear of the Lord. What if we got so filled with the Spirit of God that we could not help it? <laughs> like Peter and John, if someone said to us, you need to stop speaking, our response would be, I can't. I can't. I've seen too much. I've experienced too much. I'm too filled with the Spirit of God to not speak in His name. What would happen, church, if we got so filled with the Spirit of God that we became bold and courageous. We spoke his name, and wherever we go, he confirmed the message of signs and wonders and miracles. See, if we're people who believe the word, <laughs> then why couldn't, why couldn't what happened in the book of Acts happen in 2019 in Stratford, Ontario? If I believe the word, why couldn't what happened in the book of Acts happen in 2019 in Sarnia, Ontario? Because, man, I want my city to be saved. I want my city to be saved. I want those people in my church who are struggling with health or struggling with depression or struggling with anxiety or struggling in their marriage or struggling in their situation. I want them to know the power of God touching and instantly changing. If we believe what the Bible says, if we believe that God is the same as he was in the book of Acts as he was today, then why not? Why couldn't happen today? Bethel Church, Stratford, Ontario. We just need some people who will say, Lord, fill me again. <laughs> I might have gotten baptized in the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, but it's chapter 4, and I'm in need again. Fill me again. Empower me again. Enable me again. Give me signs and wonders again. Lord, I know that I came to church this morning. I got filled this morning, but it's nighttime. Fill me again. I need it again. Because I recognize that the overflow of my life is supposed to spill out into the streets, touch people and change lives. Do you believe that tonight in this place? Do you believe that tonight? Come on, church, are we Pentecostal people? Do you believe tonight that what God did in the book of Acts that he wants to do in Stratford? Do you believe tonight that he wants to save your city? 
Do you believe tonight that his promises are yes and amen? Do you believe that when he says he'll confirm his word with signs, wonders, and miracles, he means that he'll do it through you? Do you believe that when it says in the word that greater works we will do, that that's a promise for you and for I? Come on. If we believe the word, we need to be people who come with expectation. Come say, Lord, fill me again. Because I don't want to just believe it, I want to live it. I want to see it in my life, in this church, in this community. Why don't we stand to our feet all around this room tonight? This is what I'd like us to do. I have no idea what you're playing right now. Maybe you're just like being cool and playing whatever. I would like us tonight to start by singing something that exalts the name of Jesus. I want us to lift up his name. You know, scripture teaches, this is a whole other message, we don't have time for this, but scripture teaches us that he acts for the sake of his name. For the sake of his name. You think sometimes, man, he just shows up because he loves me. It's true that he loves you. But he wants to glorify his name. So I believe that as we begin to glorify the name of Jesus, that he comes with his presence, that he comes with his power. But it starts when we lift up the name of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you tonight, if you will get out of your seats and come and stand around this altar. And as Carlo leads us, we're going to exalt the name of Jesus just for a few minutes. We're going to set this as an atmosphere where the name of Jesus is glorified, where the name of Jesus is exalted, where the name of Jesus is lifted up. And then after we've exalted the name of Jesus, we're going to believe for signs and wonders and miracles to happen tonight in this place. We're going to begin praying and believing that his promises are yes and amen. We're going to start calling out for salvation. We're going to start calling out for healing and for miracles. We're going to ask tonight to be refilled with the Spirit of God because, man, I've had Acts 2, but I'm ready for Acts 4. So tonight, I know you're all comfortable. I know you're all cute where you are, but can we do something physical? Can we come out of our seats and begin as Carlo leads us to lift our hands and lift our voices and let's exalt the name of Jesus. Let's make this a place where his name is lifted up. Come on, even before he starts to sing, can you start declaring the name of Jesus? Can you start blessing the name of Jesus? Can you start speaking the name of Jesus? Just tell him tonight. Lord, we love you. Lord, we lift up your name tonight. Lord, we exalt your name in this place. Let's start lifting up his name above our circumstances, above our fear, above our insecurities, above our lack of faith. Let's start lifting the name of Jesus over this city, over this church, over our unsaved loved ones. Let's start exalting his name, glorifying his name. Lord, we exalt you. We exalt the name of Jesus. If you don't know what to say, just say his name. Just say his name. There's power in his name. We exalt the name of Jesus. We bless the name of Jesus. We glorify the name of Jesus. Lord, there is no name like your name. We bless your name tonight. We glorify your name tonight. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's messages.